when I first started tattooing, basically every person that tattooed it was like a sketchy white dude, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> it, you're like you're not, you're not wrong at all. It, it's one of those things that like I've observed over the years that it has become more acceptable and it has become more yeah more diversified. That was a clip from today's guest, Jay Breen. Jay is a tattoo artist based in Calgary, Alberta. He's been tattooing since 2010 and currently works out of a private studio called The Burrow. In addition to his tattoo career, Jay also does vocals for the metal band Trench and is a promoter for Wild Rose Hardcore Fest. Jay's a cool cool person and I've followed his tattooing and his fast and his band uh, for the past while. And you know, when we're thinking about leadership and who you're gonna have on the show, you know, there's something to be said for people who have the guts to just follow a dream. And Jay's a perfect example of that. Just that like unwavering vision of I want to do this thing and is going to do it. And in that also the willingness to grow, change, to kind of put your art out there, to take feedback. All of that has to do with leadership. So while it might not be obvious leadership, like someone leading a team or a company, it's someone who's like leading a practice and who's inspiring other people. Jay's just like a cool, humble guy, and I really believe you're going to get a lot out of this episode. But before we get to it, if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. So let's get to the episode. My name is Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. Everyone, welcome back. And Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. I'm uh, excited to be here. Heck yeah. All right. So there's a lot to talk about. You know, there's uh, your career as a tattoo artist. Uh, there's your uh, time in a band and what you're doing with Trench. There's the festival that you're, you're a part of. But let's start with the most simple thing. Sure. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Calgary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, not born, but raised. And mm-hmm. yeah, I honestly wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have it any other way. Okay, so you're a big Calgary fan, right? I am a big Calgary fan. At least I like it as a city, and I, I like it as a as a hub. You know, before COVID, I did quite a bit of traveling, so I really like uh, Calgary as a place to like come back to. You know, what part of Calgary you grew up in? Um, I grew up downtown for a little bit. I grew up in like a like a low income housing building with my mom. She was a single mom. Um, and then when I was around 12, 13, uh, my mom got married and we moved to the suburbs, uh, in the Northwest of Calgary. Oh, the Northwest. So I grew up in the Southeast. Oh, opposite. Yeah, man. You're far out from me. I grew up in totally. Willow Park. Oh, okay, cool. Sweet. I love that. Yeah. It was, how uh, long did was, you, how long did you live in Calgary for? From when I was five until I was 20. Uh, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I was, yeah, a long time. I moved out here to go to out to Vancouver, going to university, and uh, ended up staying. So there's a ton of stuff that I want to talk to you about. Um, you know, I want to talk about your career as a tattoo artist. I want to talk to you about uh, the fest that you're a part of doing. Just like what it's like, like building a business and building that kind of thing in Calgary, taking on that kind of role. But I want to start with with music and kind of what was your gateway into that. I know you play in a band called Trench that. You've got a new record coming out, right? Uh, we do. Yeah, not yeah. exactly sure on the date, but it, it will come out on the first uh, first half of this year for sure. Heck yeah. Okay, so before we get to Trench, how did you get into punk? Yeah, um, so basically I found punk through a friend's older brother. He gave me a CD um, that had like over 100 songs on it. First half of the record or first half of the CD was more metal stuff, um, stuff that I like still like to this day, like Slipknot and Fear Factory and things like that. Um, The second half of the CD was more punk orientated, lots of things like The Unseen and Dead Kennedys and Rancid. And um, that's basically how I found out what punk even was. I was brought up pretty, um, pretty sheltered from that kind of stuff. So this was you know, really exciting to me when I saw this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's, that's, that's how I found punk. Kind of never looked back from that genre. So. Right. Important question, man. Critical yeah. question. Let's were go. you first into one part of the CD more than another part of the CD? Or were you were like an equal opportunist across the whole CD? I think I was so like inebriated, like by these, um, by these things that I've never heard before that I was kind of into all of it all at once. Um, I think I definitely did prefer like, like the heavier stuff off the bat, but I don't know. Once I started like Googling like 
pictures of the bands and stuff when I got home. I was really, really, um, specifically, I, I really liked the look of, of the guys in Rancid. You know, I would see Tim Armstrong and Lars Fredrickson, like, covered in tattoos. And I don't know, it was just so fascinating to me that I, I never really stopped admiring that kind of stuff. So, Was there something about the sound or the lyrics or the look that spoke to how you were feeling about your current circumstances at all? Yeah. Um, well, there was no like lyric page or anything like that on a burnt CD. So, I mean, I kind of had to guess for myself what was kind of going on, but yeah, I mean, I was an angsty teenager. So hearing songs about rebellion and hearing songs about, um, like, you know, quote unquote, sticking it to the man and stuff. Like I, I really liked that. It was so opposite of what, um, I knew. So, and it was definitely feelings that I, that I had. So it was, it was pretty special. <laughs> That's cool. So it gave you, it gave, uh, kind of like a flag for the feelings that you already had going on. Totally. A hundred percent. So where did you go from like getting into it to actually like building up your own band and being a part of a scene? Oh man. Yeah. I, I wasn't part of anything really. I was, I was pretty sheltered and I went, I started going to like a fully public school in grade nine. Um, and I actually met my best friend Bryce. Um, he plays in my entrench now but Bryce basically like picked me out of a crowd on the first day of grade nine. Cause I was wearing some kind of shirt. I can't remember what exactly the shirt was, but we were both basically dressed the same. Um, so we were, you know, just immediately, um, like interested in each other and what's going on. So he eventually ended up inviting me to his house to play some video games. And, you know, he ended up showing me what hardcore was. He showed me Madball and, and terror and, and Gorilla Biscuits and all these bands that I still like to this day. And he would show me like some metalcore stuff that I had no idea that that thing even existed. So I really have to thank Bryce for getting me into to hardcore. He took me to my first show, like all that kind of stuff. So and now I play in a band with him, you know, 15 years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how did the band start, though? The band started, um, I think the band started when I was 22. And I'd taken a break from playing music just because I wanted to focus on tattooing. I played in a couple previous bands before Trench. Um, but Bryce, Bryce was going through some really tough uh, life shit. His mom had just passed away and he needed a distraction from, from life. And he really wanted to start uh, a really heavy band again and kind of get into that. So he asked me if I wanted to sing in it. And I said, of course. And um, yeah, he literally sent the, the chans, the two other people that started the band with us, a message on Facebook and we just kind of started jamming. There was really no other reason other than we needed a, a distraction from the shitty things that were happening. So, so from like being involved in the punk scene, is that how you found tattoo culture? A hundred percent. Yeah. I, like I said before, maybe, um, like the minute I saw Tim Armstrong with a big spider web tattooed on his head, I was like, I, I kind of want to look like that one, <laughs> you know, as, as weird as that is, you know, even seeing like Lars Fredrickson with like the S U N X across yeah. his forehead. I was mm -hmm. like, that looks so cool. Like I, I just want to be part of that. So yeah, it was definitely from punk rock that I found uh, tattooing and decided that that's what I, that's what I ultimately wanted to do. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of a, like either like, an attraction moment. Like I'm going to be drawn to that or like a, like I'm getting the hell out of this. That's not for me kind of thing. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's either you're in or out, I think. <laughs> okay, cool. So when did you actually start getting involved in the culture? Like I'd imagine it all started with getting tattooed for the first time. Actually it didn't. Funny oh. enough. I, yeah. I started uh, working in a shop when I was super young. I was 17 years old. Um, so I couldn't even get a tattoo yet. I did have a tattoo that was done by like a homie in a basement, you know, but yeah. nothing, nothing professional, but yeah, I was just so into it. I knew that that's like kind of the path that I wanted to go down. So yeah, I applied at a few tattoo shops in my neighborhood and just ended up landing a job, like cleaning up and and just being counter guy when I was like 17 years old. So mm. didn't even what, get a tattoo yet. <laughs> what shop was it? Uh, it was called body ink. It was in mm. Kensington. Okay. Um, yeah, totally. All right. So when you went in and you were like, Hey, you know, I, I want to work here. Was it just, you want to be a part of the culture or were you like, I want to become a tattoo artist and I want to be around it. Yeah. It, it was pretty direct. Like I, I brought my drawings and everything and I was like, I want to learn how to tattoo. I don't want to go to high school anymore. I don't want to go to school. This is what I want to do. And, uh, unfortunately they, it was obviously didn't happen the way that I thought it was going to happen. I ended up just working the counter for a couple of years before I even 
touch anything artistic. I was actually even a piercer. They made me do some piercings to like kind of get, uh, get, uh, get my legs, you know, in the tattoo shop. So it definitely didn't go the way I wanted it to go, but that's kind of the way it works. All right. Wait a second, man. I got to unpack a couple of things. So first, did you quit high school to work at the tattoo shop? Um, I didn't pass high school. So technically I didn't quit, but I spent more time at the shop than I did in school. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, dude, that's a hard, that's a hard start. You're like, High school? No, thanks. I'm going to work at the tattoo shop instead. But the next part that I got to know is how do you make someone do piercing? That does not sound. <laughs> if I was going to go get a piercing, I wouldn't be like, oh, here's the guy. Here's the guy they made do piercing. Oh, dude. Yeah, you're not wrong at all. Like having a 17 year old do your piercings like, is so, so fucking silly, like looking uh -huh. back on it. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. They just ended up training me to do that so that I could learn. I was a pretty awkward kid, not very good at talking and stuff. So they were like, that's part of it is part of tattooing to be good at talking to people. So I think uh, one of the things that they wanted me to do is to learn how to deal with people in pain and to deal with this kind of culture. <laughs> so yeah. it was, uh, I don't know. It, it was good looking back on it, to be honest, it's a pretty gross job and I don't <laughs> want to do it. I would never want to do it again, but right. yeah, it, it definitely taught me. So, well, okay. This is what I love about that though. It's like, you know, some people would be like, Oh, it was a real trial by fire. Hey man, sticking like giant needles into people's bodies so they can get like pieces of metal stuck in there is a true trial by fire. So you must have wanted to be a tattoo artist real bad if you were willing to do that. Yeah, I just wanted to be part of of the community and part of the culture. I was so fascinated. I didn't even really care. I was so stoked to work at a tattoo shop. My job before that was working at Little Caesars, you know, so I was like, <laughs> I, I, I was super, super stoked to even just be there. So and I knew eventually it would lead to tattooing, like if I put mm -hmm. in the work. So mm -hmm. uh, how do you feel about crazy bread at this point? Uh, I mean, I'm a vegan guy now, so I can't eat the the crazy bread, but I sure would love to crush some. No, no yeah. questions asked. It's just like, there, what is wrong with us? It's so good, but it's so yeah. it's got to be terrible for you. Oh, it's there's no way it's good for you. It's literally just dough and oil. But man, that sounds pretty good right now. <laughs> All right, so how did you transition into tattooing? Were you still at the same at the same shop when you when you started tattooing? I was at the same shop. Yeah, basically, just one day uh, I was at the shop, and and my boss was like. I think she was just, I would, I would always draw there, you know, whether I was good at it or not. And I was drawing there and she was like, okay, I think it's time for you to learn how to tattoo, like save up some money and buy some machines and we'll, we'll see what's up. And that's literally it. That's literally how it happened. And she was just like, okay, you put in your time, you're good to go. Mm -hmm. So how long did you apprentice tattooing before you went out on your own and started doing, at least like within that shop, started actually tattooing people? Yeah, uh, it was probably a good year of learning just how to put things together and like technical stuff. But I had already been working at the shop for like two years before that. So technically, I worked there for three years. And then one of the years was my apprenticeship. So when you got the green light to go in and start learning how to tattoo, was there any fear? Or were you all just like, yeah, of course, I'm going to do this like leap of faith? Uh, definitely lots of fear for sure. Definitely. Like I'm not like a, I'm not like a normally uh, anxious person. Like I don't really suffer from anxiety, but that was definitely the most anxiety I've ever had for sure. Like, especially tattooing someone I didn't know. I had lots of friends that like wanted to come get tattooed. So I had lots of practice, but the minute you're switching over to somebody you didn't know or somebody that was paying, it's like a whole different ball game. So yeah, definitely uh, lots of anxiety, very nervous. <laughs> well, how did you push through that? I think it was just something that, um, you know, you go out, go outside the shop and like give yourself a few minutes and be like, okay, I got to go do this. I got to do a good job. And yeah, I don't know. It's just been like kind of a rule in tattooing. If you do a good job, they're going to tell 10 of their friends if you do a bad job, they're going to tell like a hundred of their friends. So it's right. like, I wanted to do a good job. So I get some repeating customers or maybe somebody else would want to come get a tattoo. So you kind of just have to suck it up and be like, I got to do a good job here, whether it takes hours or 10 minutes or whatever, just got to put a hundred percent into it. So there's the technical side, like learning how to properly tattoo, draw all that. Uh, but then there's the soft skill side, like talking to people, dealing with people when they're in pain. So how long did it take you to get good at that side of it? Oh, yeah, uh, probably a long time. I'm still even working on it. I, I sometimes am like a little bit socially awkward, especially, you know, 
12 years ago when I was a teenager learning how to tattoo. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Dealing with people, um, I think the best way to deal with somebody is just to be overly nice and really understanding about what they are trying to get from you and kind of just let, let them lead the way when it comes to um, what they want to get tattoo-wise. A good compromise, you know? Well, are you naturally like that? Like, are you naturally, like, accommodating and kind of, like, listening to people and kind of let them guide it? Or is that something you have to learn? Um, it's definitely something you have to learn. I think when people start tattooing, they're pretty set on just doing their own thing, like my way or the highway kind of thing. Whereas now I try to you know, do a little bit of a mix of both where I take my clients ideas and their, their wants and concerns. And then I take the things that I know and kind of put them together to make something that we both really like. So I think that's, that's the ultimate strategy when it comes to having like a consultation with somebody. Mm -hmm. So when you were first starting and like, I mean, like actually like tattooing, tattooing, now you're like out there. I I really like how you said it. It's like, you do a good job. 10 people will uh, tell other people you do a bad job. They'll tell a hundred people. How did you deal with criticism yeah uh criticism was not my strong suit when i first started tattooing um really resistant to like people's ideas like kind of thought i knew what was up but now i have learned that criticism is like maybe the best tool uh you can have as somebody that like makes art in any way music or tattooing or anything Uh, The criticism is something that I take, I really take to heart. And I'll even like, if somebody says even the smallest thing, I'll, I'll make mental note of it and try to tweak that for next time. And those are the things that make you better. Cause if you just stay the same way and do the things that you want to do and don't take anybody else's input, you're going to, you're going to stay stagnant, man. Yeah. But how did you learn to get good at that? Uh, just by getting a lot of criticism, tattooers are not uh, shy when it comes to telling you like certain things suck or like you need totally need to redo that or tell you that you need to send your client home because your drawing sucks. Like tattooers are pretty ruthless when it comes to that stuff. So it's kind of just something I got used to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So just over time, you kind of like learn to move with it, get better with it. hundred percent. Through that process though, what'd you learn about yourself? Oh man, that's a good question. Yeah. Through the process, I learned that I was not patient. So I learned that I needed to install a bit of patience in myself, um, you know, and try to realize that, you know, Rome isn't built in a day. You're not going to be good at something right away. Um, It takes a lot of time and practice to get good at drawing and it takes even more practice to get good at tattooing. So yeah, uh, I learned that I was an impatient person, but I've learned to kind of uh, be more patient with myself now. Okay, cool. And has that ability to become more patient, has that nestled solely in your, in your business and in your process as a tattoo artist, or has it gone across other places in your life? Oh, it's definitely gone across other places for sure. Probably every place. Um, yeah. Now realizing when I first started tattooing, I thought I'd be good to go in a couple of years of, you know, try to master it as quickly as I could. And, now I'm 12 years into tattooing and I realize that I don't even know if that's going to be possible. There's always stuff to learn and there's never really like an ending road with that. So I kind of apply that stuff to the rest of my life with, even with trench, like I know it's going to take a really long time to get any sort of success with that. Even with wild rose hardcore fest, like looking at the bigger picture is better than looking at the smaller picture. I, when I do things like trench or wild rose, I I look at like the 10 year picture, not the one year picture. Right, so, right. Yeah. So I think that's the, that's really the lesson that I've taken from tattooing and applied it to the rest of the things that I do. Uh, I love that. So how do you keep developing your, your, your practice though? So like, I, I'll give you an example um, for myself, you yeah. know, so I, I was a therapist for about a decade before I went into coaching into what I do now. Okay. And you know, I knew how to be a therapist and I, I feel I was like a relatively good therapist. Uh, and then when I got into coaching, I was like, oh, like, let's see what I can apply from that into here. But I was so freaked out by being in the corporate world that I was like, I didn't really like I wasn't really me. I was just like kind of this like robotic, like I just feeling what I thought was the role that I was supposed to fill, especially I worked in a company that was like did a really shitty experience working there. And 
the more that I, the more that I acclimatized myself to it, the more I was able to bring in like who I actually am. I had less fear and less anxiety. I was able to bring more stuff from being a therapist, but I actually started bringing in more stuff about just being a guy who grew up in punk, a guy who was like heavily tattooed, all of that. And I got to a point where I could start my own company. And when I started my own company, I was like, okay, I'm set. Like I know how to be a coach. I know how to like build a business. And then I realized that I don't know shit about shit. I was like, I, I'm like, I'm like, so much more I need to learn about being a business person so much more like unbelievably so much more I have no idea how to run a business I have no idea how to coach at like a big level I have no idea how to like train other coaches I'd say like the first two years of running cadence was like the scariest like jump off the deep end and like every single day you're learning stuff while also like it's like building the engine while also driving the car it was like terrifying now I'm ahead of it but I have this deep need to constantly be getting better and better and better and I actually have a practice of how I do that now but I didn't know how to do it before so how do you keep getting better like what is what is that that you have in place to help pushing you as like an artist or a musician or someone who does a fest yeah, that's a really good question. I think for me, the biggest like inspiration to keep getting better is that I need to, or I have a need to, you know, get to certain levels, right? So I'll push myself um, to the next level. Like right now, I recently moved shops from my old shop. I was there for seven years. I moved to a new shop now just to kind of get myself more uncomfortable again. I was super comfortable where I was before, not really not really pushing myself and now I find the best way to push yourself as a tattooer is to be around other people that are also trying to push the envelope a little bit not saying the people at my last shop weren't trying to push the envelope but it's trying to um trying to be around people that are like kind of doing that more or less every day and so that's kind of what I've surrounded myself with now and I think that's the best way as a tattooer to kind of push yourself to the next level because being 12 years in, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. I have formulas for things and maybe I wouldn't try certain things like I would before. And, and yeah, I think now being around new people, that's, that's kind of what's pushing me to go to the next level with, with tattooing. You know, I, I find myself kind of saying this a lot on the podcast, but, um, something that I, I try and practice myself and part of my discipline of becoming a better coach, a better um, business leader, a better, like whatever I'm doing is I surround myself with people that are better than me at it and or people that I like I look up to or that I find like inspirational. I don't mean like inspirational, like, <gasps> like, you know, Gandhi inspirational, but someone where I'm like, damn, like, that's cool. I wish I could do it like that. And the the discipline for me is whatever you want to be really successful at or really good at find other people who are already successful, even if they're like two steps more successful than you or 10 steps or 20 steps. And when I say successful, I don't mean like monetary. I mean, just like they're, they're really, they're better at that thing that you're trying to learn because then you can observe their practice. You see how they move. You can ask them questions. And even just being around that energy can be like really beneficial. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I literally think the whole, the move is to surround yourself with people who do what you do, but do it 10 times, 20 times, hundred times better than you. Cause there's always stuff to learn. There's always stuff you're going to pick up. And yeah, I think, yeah, the best way to advance is to basically never put a cap on it. Like don't really, you know, don't really don't get too comfortable, you know? Yeah. Like when I was kind of in a position when I was younger, uh, where like the bands that I was playing in would be like a headlining band and we were bringing on tour uh, people on tour with us. I'd always want to bring people on tour who were like, like an incredible live band so that like when they played our goal was to like match or exceed what they just did i never wanted to tour with a band that's like oh yeah like you know we're gonna blow them off stage every night because like that's kind of like a a lame way to like do a tour i want to tour with people that i think are cool like awesome great band blah blah blah. but i want someone that makes me a little bit uncomfortable about how good they are i'm like damn i gotta like really bring it tonight oh fuck yeah man i think i think uh like quote unquote friendly competition is like extremely healthy when it comes to like making any type of art. It's exactly what you're saying. I'll see someone at my shop now, um, or even at my shop that I just left, like someone will do like a bodysuit tattoo on somebody and I'll look at it and be like, wow, like that is so incredible. Like I want to do that. Or it's exactly like what you're saying. Like if you're playing a show and the band before you absolutely fucking kills it, you're going to have to go, and outdo them maybe a little yeah. bit or you could try, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, I think friendly competition is like super underrated when it comes 
to making art. It's, it's a really good thing. Well, I was talking about this on, on an earlier podcast with, uh, with Chris from bridge nine. Um, the idea of being like toxically competitive versus like healthy competition. Yeah. And like, cause I've, I've kind of walked in both path, uh, places before I've been like toxically competitive where it's like, I've got something that I worked hard to get. Like I've achieved something or I've worked hard to get it and I don't want to lose it or I'm afraid to lose it. And I'm like, nah, you know, and like, totally. it's a place of anxiety, fear and all that. Or I've been like, I want to get, I want to succeed at something or I want something to happen. And like, you know, I, I perceive someone's like kind of gatekeeping me or pushing me down when in reality, I'm just like, I'm terrified and I'm maybe jealous. So I've been toxically competitive before. And I see this in like the corporate world or in, in just in the world in general all the time. Like people who are like slamming other people because they have what they don't have or they've done what they haven't done or what they wish they could do. So that's not good. And a, a lot of times where I hear people talk about competition, it's like they've got this cartoonish vision of that if, you, if you're competitive, then you're that. Flip it, like healthy competition for me is like, I want to be around people who are so good that I'm like, damn, like I gotta really like, I want to do that as well or better than you. Like I want to play with a band who I'm like, if I don't bring 100%, they will have blown us off the stage. I have to be better. Like I have to like, I have to be better than I would have been otherwise. Um, or like if I'm playing for another band, I'm like, yeah, I want to make sure that like they, I want to make sure the headlining band wants to watch us like that. They're interested in watching us because they think we're a good band. Cause we've got a lot of energy, all that. But also they're like, they want to see like, damn, we're going to have to like really bring it. Cause for me, that's like part of the enjoyment of doing things is that like exhilaration of being around people who are really good at what they're doing. A hundred percent. I, I, I literally thrive the same way. If I see somebody absolutely killing it, I'll, I'll fucking analyze it and I'll take mental note and I'll be like, okay, these are the things that I need to do. And then maybe I'll also analyze to be like, oh, maybe I can do this better than that guy, uh, this certain way, because I've learned that skill or whatever. It, it, it is kind of one of those things that I, I also look for that too. I'm not really into being around, uh, people who aren't pushing the envelope. So, and that's not in like a cocky way. That's literally just from an art standpoint. Like I kind of just need that, um, to accelerate my own things. Yeah, dude. And it's interesting. And what you just did there too, it's like people kind of feel like they got to give this caveat. And I understand like why we do it. Cause we don't look like arrogant or like pricks or, or jerks or whatever it is. I totally get it. And competition is not a bad thing. The world thrives on competition. The seed, if you plant a seed in the ground, it's in competition with the soil. It's trying to like push out of the soil. It's like conflict, competition, being those things. They don't have to be negative. They don't have to be toxic. If anything, it brings the best out of you as long as you stay, as long as you're able to mentally stay out of that toxic space. I Again, I've been successful at staying out of it largely, especially now in my life. But when I was younger, I've definitely like kind of dipped a toe and even got really drenched in, in that kind of approach. Yeah. But the other thing is like sometimes you deal with people who are toxically competitive and they're shitty, but you you can still like you can choose to not deal with people like that, but that's like, it's not realistic to do that. Like you're very often going to cut cross paths with some people or a lot of people who are toxically competitive, especially if you're like dedicated to a type of practice or like playing music or tattooing or whatever it is. And that's where I want to go back to that criticism thing. If we can for a sec. Yeah. Um, I like your dedication to listen, uh, um, listening to criticism. Can I give you a, a filter that I, I like to look at things through? Yeah, for sure. That'd be awesome. 100% at all times, believe your own shit, always believe your own shit and be equally, equally willing to be told you're full of shit. Oh yeah, for sure. But the being told you're full of shit, like let's say a thousand people listen to a song that you've, you've played. Yeah. Every single one of those people is going to have an opinion and a percentage of them are going to be like, this is perfect. Best song I ever heard. Your band changed my life. Da da da. Whatever. And then some are going to be like neutral and some are going to be like, this sucks. Your band is lame. And I'm totally willing to hear all that. But the, the feedback that I'll, the negative feedback I'll interact with, I'm picky about not that I'll dismiss other people, but it's like, maybe I'll spend 30 seconds on one piece of feedback and three hours on another piece of feedback. And a lot of it has to do with like, does this person have sufficient expertise in what they're talking about to give me feedback that's going to help me grow? And also is that feedback coming from a good place? So for example, if another musician's like, and they're like a practice musician's like, Hey man, your band is not good. And I'm going to tell you why I'd be like, Ugh. but okay, tell me more. I want to hear about it. But if someone's like, 
oh, you're like a corny straight edge band. You're just like ripping off uniform choice. And they're also like a, a accomplished musician. I'd be like, yeah, you're right. We are ripping off uniform <laughs> choice. And I don't know, we might suck, but like, I don't know, you're kind of coming at me at like a weird, weird way about it. I, it's not that I wouldn't listen to him, but I would put a little bit less weight on it rather than some being like, your band's not good. And let me tell you why. Or if yeah. this is what your band needs to work on. I'd be like, that hurts. I don't like hearing it, but tell me more. I want to hear all about it. A hundred percent. Yeah. I kind of do the same thing. Uh, yeah. If somebody gives me some criticism that has no idea what they're talking about, I'm pretty quick to write it off. You know, if, if someone that I really look up to gives me some criticism, I'll study it. I'll study the shit out of it. Like that makes total sense to me. Um, yeah, I don't know, man, this whole thing about criticism and I'm just like not afraid to, I guess, fail, you know, like I'm not afraid to like, or even embarrass myself. Like I don't, I don't really care about that kind of stuff. It's kind of one of those things that like you were saying, you need to believe your own stuff. And, and I do. And I think that it's kind of people often construed like uh, confidence for like egotism or something like that. And that's really not the case. It's just, I've had lots of experience doing art. So when I try something new, it's li literally just to try it. It's not really for anybody else. It's not like for people to comment on. And a lot of the time I find when people say something sucks and they like, let's say they play another band or something, they're trying to like, quote unquote, like gatekeep because they're literally scared of the competition. You know, they're yeah. scared that I'm going to do better than them yeah. or that someone else is going to do better than them. So gatekeeping is lame in that in that aspect because being scared of the competition is something that will make you not as good <laughs> totally man and and also like having been a guy that's spent a lot of time doing stuff that would be more like putting i put stuff out in front of people whether it's like coaching or videos for the company or podcasts or music or whatever like you're gonna have people not you but people in general it's like you're corny or you're this or you're that or you're blah 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 and it's like and like, man, I would love to live in a world where like I hit just that right thing and I just like got right through the keyhole and I hit it all. But that's just not who I am. I'm a, like another human being. I'm messy. I'm flawed. I, I'm insecure. I'm like confident. And the thing that I try and walk and I think you're hitting on, but I'm going to uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to try and like form it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I do your thing, man. Difference between confidence and arrogance. So like both of them come from the ego and having an ego is not a bad thing. All human beings have an ego, but like confidence is like a giving thing like you're giving yourself permission to take leaps like i'm gonna put a i'm gonna like put ink into someone's skin or i'm gonna put music and put it out in the world or i'm gonna do a festival or i'm gonna do a podcast you're giving yourself something you're giving other people you're trusting them you're listening to them you're giving them energy you're helping them be confidence confidence is a giving thing arrogance is a taking thing it comes from a place of insecurity fear it's a, an avoidance Confidence is achievement based. Arrogance is avoidance based. And like people can be confident in some things and arrogant in some other things. People can be predominantly confident and go through periods of arrogance. People can be predominantly arrogant and go through periods of confidence. It's not like a simple thing, but I'd say that like anything that's like an endeavor where you're daring to put something in front of people, it's either going to come from a place that's predominantly confident or a place where it's predominantly arrogant. It's everyone's duty as an individual to figure out where they're coming from and like steer themselves in the right direction. hundred percent. That's very well said. Thanks man. Um, okay. So with that in mind, what does it mean to lead someone to getting a tattoo? Like I am sure you get people come in with like pretty wild ideas and you have to like help get them there while also giving them a good experience. Yeah, totally. Basically my strategy for that, like if someone has a consult with me and we've never met before, um, I kind of let them take the lead on the conversation. I just like want to know everything that they want. I want to know like what they want to look like. I want to know like what their future plans are for other tattoos. I basically try to take everything into consideration before, before I even speak or like tell them what's up, you know, cause sometimes you're totally right. Like they will have an idea that totally won't work at all. My other strategy basically for leading people to get a good tattoo is to tell them that it's, it's, uh, it's both of us working on this. It's not just, it's not just what they want. It is part of me as well. So if they're coming to me, it's one of those things that I'm like, we're compromising a little bit because I have lots of experience in this. And at the end of the day, I'm really just trying to make, I'm really trying to make them aesthetically look good. So if they want to, put their tattoo somewhere where it's not aesthetically going to look good. I'm going to tell them 
no, you know? So I don't know. It's just one of those things that it needs to be a good balance because there are lots of things that people don't realize when they come in, like placement or size, or if they want like a weird color or something, sometimes it doesn't work. So yeah, just lots of, uh, lots of handholding and yeah, a lot of, um, just like getting the point across that this is a two person effort, not just for them. So when you're in a tattoo shop, what's the right combination of things that need to happen to make a, a shop great? like to make a shop functional, to have like a proper culture, like what really needs to be in place there? Man, honestly, as like cheesy as it sounds, it's it's kind of all about the vibe, <laughs> to mm-hmm. be honest. Like mm-hmm. if someone comes into a shop and no one talks to them, or if no one even like looks at them and everyone's pretty cold, like they're going to have a bad time. So I personally like tattoo shops where people are friendly mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, where people are like understanding about what's going on, like understanding that people are in pain, understanding that there's like naked people around. So you have to be respectful with like where your eyes are at and shit. Like, I don't know. It's, there's a lot that goes into like a good, like vibe tattoo shop, but, but yeah, without putting too many words to it, I think the vibe is the most important. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. So like the thing that's really unique about like the tat, like having a tattoo, like quote unquote workplace is like, you know, some places are painful to work at because like, you know, the culture sucks and like, you know, whatever, like it's just not a good company to work at or whatever. But the tattoo world actually has pain involved in it. Like you're actually in a space yeah. where people are literally going through pain. And I, I like something you said that I, I didn't even think, really think about is like people are going to have various levels of being like exposed physically in front of groups of people. It's got to be hard to keep the right kind of vibe in a tattoo shop you as a professional here, what do you bring to the game to help that happen? Yeah. I just try to be as, uh, understanding and as like consensual as I can be. I literally ask every, every, every question I can before we start. I'm like, even before we're about to start the tattoo, I'm like, okay, are you ready? I'm going to start touching you now. And people are like, yes. Okay. So it's, there's a lot about consent. Um, there's a lot about respect and then I don't know, there's, there are lots of tattoos that, that aren't very tattooed. So if they're tattooing somebody in a spot where they've never experienced a tattoo, it's kind of one of those things that they can't really understand where the client's at. Myself, I have most of my body tattooed, so I do kind of understand what all of my clients are going through when I'm when I'm tattooing them. So I think maybe maybe the the overall answer to this question would is just to be like super understanding and super kind to your to your client. Yeah. And you know, since I've been getting tattooed since I was it was I guess I started getting tattooed in the late nineties is probably when I started getting tattooed. And a little bit rougher. (laughs) Well actually like my experience was largely like super cool. Like I, I, I don't have one of those, like I got tattooed by like a biker and like the back room. It was not that at all. And I think that was like around when I think where tattoos started to become a little bit more like socially acceptable. And like, you know, I, I had largely, uh, largely good experiences, but I think like leading up to that, the decades beforehand, totally different experience. And I, you know, especially within the past 10 years, I, it seems like the industry has gone through like a real change in terms of like how artists interact with people and also how our artists interact within uh, within a shop and a lot of like kind of like me too moments around tattooing so if you were to speak to it like what do you think's changed and what do you think needs to keep changing yeah well the things that have changed at least i'd like to think that things have changed um yeah there's just a lot more respect for the client and that's really like what it should be about like Personally, in my life, like I've had lots of experiences where um, I've had a bad experience getting tattooed where my tattooer was, you know, really cold to me or an asshole, or maybe they just didn't want to talk to me because I was a young tattooer. They didn't want to like give me any information or whatever. Um, so that's changed a lot. People seem to be more open with like information because realistically it's all out there anyways. So you might as well <laughs> give into that. Yeah, I haven't had any experiences where people have taken advantage of me or anything like that but that is something that is definitely super prevalent in tattooing Um, just because you're coming into a place to trust somebody really like you're you're coming in there with the with the ideal that this person is trustworthy they're going to do a good job and treat me well and sometimes that's just not the case there are people out there that will definitely take advantage of 
of nice people. So it's, it's good to be weary of that. So that's something that needs to keep changing is, you know, people need to keep talking about, about their experiences in tattoo shops because they shouldn't be kept secret. You're going to get a permanent uh, piece of art from somebody. You should probably find out who they are. Something that I did observe when I was younger was tattooing seemed to be at least at that time. And of course, I don't know a hundred percent of, of all areas and shops and everything, but the little areas that I was getting tattooed in, it seemed to be predominantly men doing tattoos and predominantly white men doing tattoos and also predominantly like white people getting tattoos. Now, again, I don't want to speak for all North America or all of Canada or all of Alberta or BC, which is predominantly where I've been tattooed, but that was my experience of it. It does seem that um, from a gender perspective that it, it is becoming much, much more common to have like, women within the tattooing uh, industry. There's uh, LGBTQ representation. Uh, it's much stronger. And that there also seems to be like a higher level of diversity. Uh, but as being someone who's in the industry, is that like, am, am I, what I'm saying, like, correct? Is that proper? Like, is that, is those things happening or is there still a lot of work to do? Yeah, you're totally correct. Um, yeah. When I first started tattooing, um, basically every person that tattooed, it was like a sketchy white dude, <laughs> you know? So it, you're like, you're not, you're not wrong at all. It, it's one of those things that like I've observed over the years that it has become more acceptable and it has become more, um, yeah, more diversified. Um, I, I worked in a shop that had an entirely female staff. Um, mm. and now I work with all, all men and, yeah, I've tattooed every every type of person under the sun in the last couple of years, whereas you're totally right. When I first started tattooing, it was predominantly white people getting tattooed. Yeah, it has definitely become more diversified over the years, which is something that I personally love. Um, I don't see why tattooing wouldn't be diversified. It's an extremely diverse way to make art, so that makes sense to me. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's definitely gotten a lot better in that way, in my opinion. All right, I'm going to ask you a pretty specific question. There's certainly not a, a right or wrong here, but like sure. you're involved in a lot of like opt-in communities. Like I opt into playing in punk and hardcore, right? I opt into being vegan. Um, I opt into being tattooed. Well, I'm tattooed now, so I don't have any other choice, but like I, I, I opted into that. Um, in a culture where you can kind of opt into it, you're not just a part of it just because you live somewhere or because you were born into it or whatever. And so like opt-in cultures, especially if you're choosing to be like an artist within an industry, what level of responsibility does someone have to make that like safe and approachable for a large audience? What level of responsibility do you feel that not just you, but anyone has to put effort into making it the industry uh, approachable by people either to be a tattooer or to get tattooed? Like, is it your responsibility to do that? 100% it is my responsibility to do that, for sure. Mm -hmm. Just to make it known that you're, that you accept all types of people in your shop. I think that that's, it literally is your responsibility, your responsibility. I'll, I'll even see people making, you know, flash sheets now. And instead of on, you know, stark white paper, they're doing it on, you know, different types of skin color instead. Oh, just yeah. to like, just to like get that you know, a fuck, so like a black person can see a piece of flash that has like their skin tone as opposed to like a white person's skin tone. And so they can see what the tattoo will look like on their skin. You know what I'm saying? So it definitely is our responsibility to put that stuff out there. Every type of person can come get tattooed if they want, because it is for everybody. Dude, you just blew my mind. Like, it's so like weird. Like, it's weird when you grow up as like a white person, like, and like you're involved in tattoo culture and like, like some of the stuff you're talking about, of course, I've like heard or thought about, but I've never thought about like, oh yeah, I guess like the white background, like I've always just thought of it. It's like, oh, it's just so that it pops. It's like, yeah, but if I was, if I wasn't a white person, like that's like, you just blew my mind with that. And it's little stuff like that, that like, I mean, there's probably all sorts of stuff that's a game changer, but like that sounds like to me, I'm like, damn, that's cool that someone even thought to do that. And, and also, damn, that seems so obvious. Like, why weren't we doing that? Why weren't people doing that before? It does seem like incredibly obvious, which is why it's actually like pretty sad that no one thought about this until a couple of years ago. I'm going to shout out the shop to uh, Hemlock Tattoo. I'm not sure exactly who at Hemlock Tattoo is doing these uh, multicolored uh, flash sheets, but it's like a genius idea. And it really does, I'm sure, get 
people to come to your shop that that are not white <laughs> you know yeah man yeah i i just think that's such a cool like i literally as you said it i was like oh god I, it's like so simple but like so important and cool it's so simple and it's so inclusive and it is one of those things that we do it is our responsibility for sure oh yeah man i, I love that well let's talk about wild rose sure all right so uh, for those who don't know, can you tell tell the audience about Wild Rose, what it is, and how it started? Yeah, Wild Rose is a is a hardcore punk metal fest that happens in Calgary um, every year up until the last couple of years. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the fest was founded by our friend Evan Shaw. He passed away a couple of years ago, so he's no longer around to take the reins on the fest, and so that's kind of why we're keeping it alive. Um, but yeah, the fest was founded. Um, I think in 2016 or 17, it's been called a plethora of different names, but now it's known as, as Wild Rose Hardcore Fest. So again, growing up in Calgary and again, growing up in the punk scene, uh, there in my mind, it's like unimaginable that there would be like a punk and a hardcore like fest there. And like the one that got canceled that the change was supposed to play, it like had like Madball on it. I was like. This is so crazy for me to think about it because when I was a little kid and like going to the record store, like I'm not going to bore you with the like before the internet conversation. I won't, I won't do that, but I'll just say like, it was unimaginable for me to think that like big headlining North American acts would be like that Calgary could be a destination for that kind of stuff. And I'm so stoked on it. I'm so stoked that it exists. So what's the status of the fest now? The status of the fest now is basically we're trying to navigate the COVID situation. Like it's hard. It's even hard for us to book the bands in advance right now, just because we don't even know. We have to give them, you know, we have to give some of these bands deposits. These are like real bands that like tour all year. So it's like they need deposits. They need to know exact dates that they need to fly in because they're not driving here. So it's almost a little impossible to book the fest right now. However, we are working on, a way to get around that. Um, I can't really say too much about it, but it'll be, it'll be coming up soon or at least announced within the next couple months, I would say. So yeah, I can't say too much about it, but we are figuring it out and it will definitely happen for sure. All right. So doing, doing the fast and kind of like taking the reins from, uh, from Evan and carrying on with it. What have you learned that you wouldn't have learned in tattooing? Uh, I've learned that promoting a show and putting it on is, extremely stressful and super hard and way way more than i thought that it would ever be to be completely honest it's kind of one of those things where we were talking about earlier about friendly competition and like i don't know if this is like my own my own thing in my brain but i'll see a fest like uh like this is hardcore sound and fury and i'll be like well that's not really an impossible task like really they're just they got some some funding and they're flying in bands. And I'm like, okay, we could easily do that. It's not so easy, but we are doing it, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not easy at all. Like there's a whole team behind Wild Rose. There's four of us that, that kind of do this all year. So it takes like a whole team of people. Um, it takes like, like uh, it takes a lot of organization and a lot of like, know-how so i'm really stoked on the team that we have and uh yeah i don't know we're we're just trying to figure it out man straight up (laughs) so how do you balance it all though like you've got the fest that you're doing and it's like that is i also want to say like let's say that okay this is hardcore shout out joe but say this is a this is hardcore it's like yeah philly you got a bunch of like major cities within just a few hour drives right it's like a hub city easy to fly in to easy to fly out of that's a big difference than booking something in Calgary, Alberta, which is certainly easy to fly into. And it's definitely a hub city for, for, uh, for Canada. And, and say like, you know, probably North America, it's got, it's got a, a lot of traffic to it, but it's like every other major city is like very far away and don't necessarily have like major headlining bands. Like this is a way more daunting task at least it seems more daunting than me. I don't want to diminish the efforts of anyone else's fest. Like, I don't know how you guys do it and have, are, are keeping your steam, especially as you're gearing up for this next piece. So like, how do you, how do you even keep forward momentum? Yeah, it was a little bit hard to keep the momentum going with COVID and stuff, just because it seemed like it wasn't going to happen for forever, you know? Um, 
But to be honest, the reason why the fest even is even a thing in the first place is because we all want to keep Evan's, I guess, legacy alive, you know? Like, he really did build the fest, and he really had, like, like really high high expectations for it, you know? Like, he really wanted it to be a thing. And I know that he had, like, the 10-year vision as well. So it's super sad that he didn't actually get to see that out because I know he probably would have done a much better job than we did. But literally, the fest exists still because of Evan. That's cool. It's touching. Uh, and I know it's going to have a great return. I am completely confident in it. All right, let's go back to tattooing, though. Cool. If you're thinking about tattooing, who are your inspirations today? Modern, modern day, who do you look up to? Oh, man, there's a lot of tattooers that I really like. Um, you know, style-wise, I guess my favorite tattooers right now would be... Um, Horitoshi is probably my favorite. He's a Japanese tattooer. He does kind of like more um, bodysuit style stuff, which is my favorite type of tattooing because it takes so much time and dedication and hours. When I look at a bodysuit, it almost makes me tear up straight up because I know how much effort it requires on both parties. So yeah, bodysuit tattooing is my favorite. Uh, Horitoshi is like one of the best. Um, My other inspirations are... Chris O'Donnell and Timothy Hoyer um, are both really good illustrators and super good tattooers. Um, I really like Stace Ferrand. Uh, he's a tattooer in um, Vancouver, and he does all the album art for Trench and stuff. He does a different style, more more on the anime kind of Japanese side, but that's like my favorite shit too. So. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's lots of tattooers that I looked up to, at least artistically. So I don't know very many of these people though. So sometimes that uh, that can weigh on it as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. I, I if I think of musicians uh, and even business people, sometimes my worst experiences are when I look up to someone and then I actually meet them. I'm like, oh god, that was terrible. A hundred percent. That happens a lot in tattooing, yeah. unfortunately, and music, and really any kind of art, but. But yeah, I try not to uh, look too far because sometimes it's disappointing. <laughs> it is. And then also you get rewarded. Like uh, my experience with Seven Seconds and, and spending time with them was like Seven Seconds were like my favorite band growing up and, and still are one of my favorite bands. And coolest band, coolest group of people I've ever been on the road with. That's awesome. Most, most real, actual punk hardcore people that I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Um, all right, man. So as we're starting to wrap up, Tell us what's next for you as an artist, uh, as a singer in Trench, and then also uh, um, around Wild Rose. What's on the horizon for you? Yeah. uh, Yeah. As an artist, I'm really just going to kind of keep doing my thing. Uh, Tattooing is something that kind of, like I said before, you never really stop, never really stop learning stuff. So yeah, I'm kind of on a new adventure right now in my new shop. So I'm just going to try and soak up as much there as I can. Maybe in the future I can do a bit of traveling and do some more uh, guest spots and conventions and kind of just keep it going with the tattoo stuff. Um, I really want to branch out and do some some other extracurricular art, like just some painting, even like some oil painting. I've got another project that has to do with like pouring resin and and stuff that I'm trying to do right now too. So I got lots of shit going on with art. Um so I'm just trying to figure that stuff out right now. So I'm not sure what's next, but something cool will come up, I'm sure. Uh, Trench has a new record coming out uh, in the first half of this year. So that'll be really exciting. I'm excited for people to hear that. Hopefully uh, we is can. It a, is it an EP or a full length? It is an EP, yeah. And what's it called? It's called Encased in Chrome. Okay. All yeah. Right. yeah. And what that, label that'll be on? Out, uh, that'll be out on New Damage Records. Okay. Cool, yeah. cool. And then, uh, and then what's up with Wild Rose? You're going to do an announcement in the next couple of months? Yeah, I'm hoping it's going to be in the next couple of months. Wild Rose will definitely happen a little later in the year than it's supposed to this year, just because of Omicron and all the restrictions and stuff. Um, so hopefully we can announce something in the next few months. Um, but yeah, Wild Rose will be happening this year in some capacity. We're just trying to get around a little bit of the restriction stuff and kind of kind of just strategize for that right now. So yeah, expect something soon. Okay, cool. So I've got three questions as we're closing off. Yeah, let's go. Okay. Uh, what's your advice for young tattoo artists who are hoping to break into the industry? Yeah. Young people trying to break in. Like, are you talking about someone who wants an apprenticeship or people that are already in, in it? 
Give us one, give us a piece of advice for each. Okay. Uh, yeah. Advice for people wanting to tattoo, um, people who are seeking an apprenticeship is just to work on your drawing. Drawing is the most important part when it comes to, uh, to start tattooing. Nobody's going to want to get tattooed by you if you are bad at drawing. Uh, seeking out criticism and just practicing every day is something that you're going to need to get used to. As a tattooer, you're going to have homework for the rest of your life, so you might as well start now <laughs> um, just getting the practicing uh, for the drawing in. Um, a young person in tattooing, my advice would just to be be really nice to your clients because that's the way that they come back. Don't treat your clients bad because that's uh, that's the ultimate way to not be busy. So, All right. Uh, second question for you. What is What are your top three hardcore bands, period, of all time? Top three. Top three hardcore bands. My favorite hardcore band of all time is Terror. That was my favorite. Mm. That was my that was my intro band. That was the first like real hardcore band. Uh, one with the underdogs is like always on repeat for me. I I love Terror. My second favorite hardcore band might be Iron Age, um, mm-hmm. just because it has a lot of metallic stuff to it that I that I really like. It's uh, Constant Struggle and the Sleeping Eye have have been on repeat for like. 10 years for me so well i guess not quite 10 years but maybe 10 like uh five years you know i I listen to them all the time uh what would be the third one um maybe madball just nostalgically like you know hearing those records for the first time thinking that was like actually the hardest shit i've ever heard in my life so i don't know yeah i think those three are probably my my top three for sure Dude, those are three very, very good answers. And uh, shout out to all three bands. Lots of lots of good people involved in them. All right, man, last question. This is the hardest question I'm ever going to ask you. Okay. I promise you, I will not hold you to it, and nobody else listening should. Best band from Calgary of all time. Best band from Calgary of all time. And it could be across any genre. Oh, God. Can I say two? You can say two. Can I do an old one and a current one? Absolutely. You totally okay, can. So old, the best old Calgary band was Nikola Tesla by far. Okay. Um, just because that, like nostalgically, that was my first show. And I went to every single Nikola Tesla show after that first show. I immediately got obsessed with like how weird and violent it was. So that's, that's my favorite older band from Calgary um, from when I was like 15. Um, the best current band from Calgary unbiasedly not my own i'm gonna say i'm gonna say serration is the best band from calgary right now um just because i think it's super unique and i i don't know it's so mean and it's actually like terrifying music so and that's something that <laughs> i i really like so oh yeah awesome man okay great so uh for people listening where can they find you your artwork your band where can they look you up uh, just all on instagram really uh, my instagram is just my name jbreen tattooer um, you could find Trench on Instagram as well. And you can also follow Wild Rose Hardcore Fest there. Just search the name. Hell yeah. Well, listen, Jay, it was awesome talking to you. Like, this is a great interview. Thank you so much. And like, what I like is like, you're tight with your answers, you know, like you don't like go on and on and on, but every single answer had something of a lot of value and I totally appreciate your time. So thanks so much for being on here. Dude, no problem. Thank you. I've been a fan of yours musically since I was a teenager and I really like your podcast. Uh, it was, it was an honor, honestly. Thank you so much. Heck yeah. Awesome. All right, everyone, we'll see you in the outro. And Spencer, drop the beat. That was an awesome episode. Thanks so much, Shay. Sometimes when you're speaking to someone, you ask them a question and they'll just like go on for five minutes, 10 minutes, and you have to kind of weigh in. And other times people will measure their words. And Jay's definitely someone who measures their words. It's cool to be in a conversation with someone who's not like, hedging like who's like not afraid to speak but also isn't probably like the first person who's like yeah i want to be the person talking just like a humble thoughtful person so jay thanks so much and i learned a lot there like when you're a a part of anything like you know the punk scene or you're part of the tattoo culture or whatever it is you kind of get this sense especially if you're a little bit older like oh yeah I've, i've seen it all i've done it all i've been a part of that and what bullshit is that like this opportunity to learn from different generations, to see how things are evolving and changing. And just to be with someone who's like really good at what they're doing, but also willing to like say like, hey, I actually don't know. I, I don't know everything and I need to learn. It's such a good reminder for me that it's like, 
yeah, you know, every single day you should have like a fresh mind, a starter mind and keep growing and, uh, and really be focusing on how you develop. So again, thanks so much, Jay. That was just a cool, fun, really interesting conversation. Uh, you totally, you totally roll. And I really appreciate you being on. So with that, everybody, whatever your goal is, whatever you're into, have a fresh mind, have a starter mind, have the, uh, the mindset of growing and learning something every day. And until next time, I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this has been One Step Beyond. One Step Beyond.